This is a big book. It's a rich book. The Bible, God's Word, is, is just... You get into it and you fall in love with God and, and you ask God to start showing you stuff in the Bible and teaching you, and He does. And it's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming how good the Bible is. And God knows right where you're at and what you need and gives you so much of it. And I'm just thankful I have a God that talks to me. You know, um, we sing in the garden. He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I'm His own. And you say that God talks to you and people look at you like you're crazy. But if God doesn't talk with you, that's a sad thing. I'd, I'd hate to think of a God that doesn't talk to me. And I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I hear some audible voice. I'm talking about God talks to us in our heart. He talks to us through His words. And then He confirms what He tells you with His words. God will never tell you something contrary to His words. And so if you're you're saying that God talks to you and it's contrary to His words, you know it's not God. But if God's talking to you and it goes in line with His words and the words are leaping out of the page and into your heart and as you're walking around, God brings that Scripture to your mind and and confirms it with Scripture, what He's telling you and how to do it and what to do, then you're talking and you're walking with God. I guarantee God's not... The devil's not telling you, hey, you need to go witness and give that guy the gospel. The devil's not telling you, hey, you need to bring... I'm going to tell a story on you, Joshua. You know, the devil's not telling you to, to bring in a Spanish John and Romans to a shoe store. Right. <laughs> and he ends up running into a Spanish guy in the shoe store. Yeah. But God knows. God knows what we need. God knows exactly what we need, what we need to be doing, and what our job is to keep our hearts right with God, following God. And we say loving God, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, love has been so distorted. Yeah. But it's so pure and it's so good through the Bible, a loving relationship with God. That means, when I think of a loving relationship with God, that's, I want God to tell me the truth, even when it hurts. I want God to tell me to do something even when it's uncomfortable. And, and when you're in your worst places, God knows exactly what you need, the love that He gives you. God is a loving God, and I love God. I don't love God all the time like I should. Yeah. But I love God, and He's faithful. Um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to start there. And then we're gonna, we'll see where God takes this message. I don't know where all it, it's going to go, honestly. But I know that God's just opening His book to us. So we'll just trust God and pray for me. Amen. Pray that God opens His Word today. In fact, let's just start out in prayer. Get to 1 Peter chapter 3. And pray that God just meets us. Because if He doesn't, we waste our time. Yeah. Lord God, we just thank You, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to open your words, to preach your words, to share the gospel with the lost, Lord, to strengthen us, Lord, with your words, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you do that. We thank you, Lord, that you talk to us. We thank you for feeding us, Lord God. We thank you that we have a Savior, Lord, that you're so mighty, so gracious, so 
so perfect, Lord, that we can sing praises to you, Lord, and honor you, Lord God, the best that we can, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you're worthy of, of all of our praise, Lord. We thank you for saving us, Lord. We thank you that we have a Bible, Lord, that we can trust, believe in, Lord, with everything that we have. We can stake our eternity on it, Lord God. Lord, you're so good to us, Lord. You blessed us so, so heavily, Lord God. I'm overwhelmed, Lord, with the blessings of your words, Lord God. I'm overwhelmed the fact that you talk with, with, with somebody like me, Lord God. I'm overwhelmed, Lord, that I can come to you and even in prayer, Lord. I'm overwhelmed that I've got an advocate, Lord, with you. I'm overwhelmed that, I, that, I can, that, I, that you make intercession on my behalf, Lord God. Lord, you're so good, Lord. And Lord, you love the, this town of Yankton, Lord, the people that are in it, Lord God. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for a burden for these people, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, for a burden for Catholics, Lord God. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to put you first and foremost, Lord, in this whole ministry, Lord God. And Lord, I'm asking you, even though we're unworthy, Lord, that you meet with us this morning. That you give us exactly what we need out of your words, Lord. And where I come short, Lord God, I'm trusting you, Lord, to to just take over, Lord God. And I'm asking you, Lord, just take over this service this morning, Lord. I'm asking you, Lord God, to just meet with us, Lord God. Lord, we're nothing apart from you, Lord. We, We have nothing to offer, Lord God. I've got no wisdom in my own words or thoughts or opinions, Lord God. But your words are everything, Lord, and if you use it, Lord, you know exactly what everybody needs, Lord, including myself, Lord God. So we're humbly, Lord, asking you to meet with us, Lord, encourage us, Lord God. Give us the food that we need this morning, Lord, to go out into the rest of the day, Lord God. To, and I pray, Lord, you help us as we go out into the rest of the, to the day to give out the gospel, Lord, and, and fellowship, Lord, and to preach again tonight, Lord, that you just be with us in every step of the way, Lord. Guide our, our steps, guide our thoughts, guide our, guide our minds, Lord God. Prepare us, Lord God, to serve you and help us, Lord God, to be obedient to you, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to turn when you say turn, Lord. Help us to go when you say go. Help us to speak boldly when you want us to speak boldly, Lord. Help us to be uh, to, as, as wise as serpents, Lord, as gentle as doves, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to follow you like we ought to, Lord. We need your help. We need your strength. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. amen. We're going to start here in, in 1 Peter 3. He speaks to the wives. And he speaks to the husbands. And then he speaks to everybody all together in verse 8. And in fact, we'll read the whole thing. How about it? Likewise, ye wives, he's speaking to the congregation here. And this is, from what I gather here, it's a smaller congregation. We know they've been struggling. We know they've been going through trials. We know this isn't just some... You know, a lot of times in your, uh, the devil in your mind will say, well, that's that congregation and that early church congregation didn't deal with the struggles that you have. And so it doesn't apply to you because you're not where they were. And that's a lie. The, the church Christians have been struggling with the same struggles since we got started. The Amen. devil's still the devil. He's still subtle. He's still wicked. He's still vile. He's still trying to bust up families and churches just like he was here. 
And, and God's the same God. God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed his commandments. God hasn't changed his love for his church. God hasn't changed his words. God is still the same God. And God is still faithful, just like he was to this church. So it applies to you. It applies to me. And so we have to make the application to ourselves. This, this church was struggling. We know that they had trials. And he said, he said about their trials, count it more precious to you than fine gold. That's what he says earlier. He says the trial part of it. Not even, we're not talking about the reward part of it. He said the trial part of it, count it more precious. Because when you're put through a trial, it, it, you, my, I have an uncle that uh, he, he does the whole computer chip thing where you get these boards off of old computers and you take an air chisel and you, and you, you have this board here and you just air chisel all the, all the junk off of the the boards, these computer boards, and there's little chunks of gold in there. And then he would take all this powder and look like junk, and I did this as a kid, and you do this to, he'd bring in boxes of just computer boards and another box full of computer boards, and you'd sit there all day with the respirator mask because you can't breathe in the stuff and just, and you're, and you're knocking off all the stuff, but there's little, little chunks of gold in there. And then he would take them and he'd put them in some type of acid wash type deal. And then he'd go from that and put them into another acid wash type deal. And by the end of it, after, after probably a thousand different computer chip boards or two thousand, I don't know how many, it just was, it seemed like a ton with all the junk. And you're like, this is worthless. Why am I wasting my time? Why does my dad have me doing this for my uncle? And we're not even getting the gold out of it. And, and so it just didn't make sense. And, but at the end of it, he pulls out and he's got this little ounce of gold. After putting it through all the refining and putting it through all the acid washes and, all the, and getting all the junk pulled off of it, you get to see what, what all that work was for at, after a long process. We're talking years. Because it would take, you'd get busy doing work and, then, and, and, and you're like, well, that was worthless. And then later on, he pulls out and this, this is your work of something that you were doing. And it's a little chunk of gold. And what I'm saying in all of that is the trials of our faith may seem pointless. And you may not see the application for the trial. Why did God put me through that? And you might not know for years down the road why God put you through what you went through. I remember as a kid, and I didn't even plan on going here, but this is where God has me going. As a kid, we went to a church, and we went through church after church after church as my... God was just showing my dad and just opening the book to him. Showed him that he had a Bible he can trust in. That immediately wipes out a lot of false churches right off the bat. That's right. And so we move from another church and there's friends that you meet at those churches that say, well, why do you have to be a stickler for the Bible? Why do you have to be a stickler? You know, can't you just overlook the fact that they changed some verses? Yeah. And my dad wanted to, honestly. He wanted somebody else to take up the burden of figuring out the scriptures and just go about. But God wouldn't let him. And praise the Lord, he, he, he held on to what God showed him, the truth. And as a kid, I'm going, why are we leaving these churches where we meet all these friends? Yeah. And we're comfortable. And then we wound up in an, uh, a little independent Baptist church that street preached. And they, they handed out gospel tracts. And it was a great church. The pastor was was a man of God preached the Bible and then he blew up as a teenager. And I had, we'd been there for, for, I don't know, probably seven years. 
And I said, why, God? Why, why would you allow this trial to happen? And, and it, it, it nearly busted our family up. And God used that to, to draw us closer to Him even in that. Because see, what, what I was going on in my heart is I had that, that man that God was using propped way up. And my faith and trust was, was in Him. And God used that trial. And I didn't see that as a kid. I didn't see that that was going on. I didn't see how God was using that. But then later, God showed me, hey, you can only put your faith and trust in me, not in any man, not in any person, not in any congregation. But I say all that to say this, you don't know what God is doing with the trials that he has in your life. And it might not make sense to you, but you cling on to God, and God brings you through the trial, and God says it's worth more than precious gold. First Peter 1.7 is what I'm referencing, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You understand what he's saying there? The temporal things that you think are really good for you, that you, maybe you've got a, a, a good job, or maybe you've got, you know, you know, uh, uh, a new car or a house or something like that, you think, oh, this is good, this is great. God says all that's going to perish, but the trying of your faith to walk closer to God, to bring you closer to God, is going to be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the trial of your faith, and God will put your faith on trial and say, where are you at for real? So that's what's going on with this church. And then we get into chapter 3 and he addresses the wives. He says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Calm down. We're not, I'm not going to be preaching just on wives and husbands here. But it's scripture. It says, Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, and this is any that are out in the world, they obey not the word in the, in, the, in, the, in the church itself, I believe. If any obey not the word, that they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, let's read verse 2 too. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Conversation isn't just words and talking. They say 80% of your, your communication is done in body language, what you're wearing, what you're dressing, how you look. You know, Brother Josh looks over at me and says, looks like you're ready. (laughs) I didn't say a word to him. (laughs) And that is done all the time. If we're honest with ourselves, people read exactly. They show up here and they look at who's uh, the Christians that are here and they look around you, knock on somebody's door and they're they're looking up and down and saying, is this guy Mormon? Is Jehovah Witness? Is he? And people can tell whether you love God or not and love the truth or not just just off of talking to you and seeing you. Yeah. You go to a grocery store and and they're they're noticing your kids. Abel. They're noticing your kids, they're noticing your wife, they're noticing how you how you dress and your appearance. And your appearance, especially in our culture and our day and our day and age, if you're following God with that, it speaks volumes. Yeah. It speaks volumes and there's something different. There ought to be something different. And so the conversation, don't let it just be confined to talking. 
because that's not just what it's about. It's not just, just saying, okay, here, let me go talk to you. It's done in how you, your apparel, and that's, that's, that's what the scripture's talking about here, is the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear. Because scripture doesn't contradict scripture. And so scripture tells women to be shamefaced. They tell them to be, to be quiet. And we'll, we'll go on here. And so it's not a matter of just screaming and saying, look at me, look at me. Aren't I a great Christian? Aren't I? That's not what it's talking about here. It's chaste. Who's adorning, verse 3, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and wearing of gold or a putting on apparel, on of apparel, but let it be of the hidden man, and this is where we get to it, the hidden man of the heart. The heart. That's what Brother Joshua's been preaching on is the heart. And abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The abundance of, and it speaks in more than one way. It speaks in how you dress. It speaks in how you, how you conduct yourself. And it goes down to the, the hidden man in the heart. And that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. So it's in the sight of God that you're looking for. It's, 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 okay, is this going to please God? And that's what the, the new man is concerned about, is pleasing God. Not pleasing anybody else. You're pleasing God. You're pleasing God in how you talk. You're pleasing God in how you dress. You're pleasing God in how, how you conduct yourself. Here's what he's getting at. Is the inward man pleasing God in, in a meek and quiet spirit? A meek and quiet spirit isn't saying, I'm going to go do my own thing, and this is what I'm going to do for God, and this is what I'm going to, and this is, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. It's saying, God, what, what do you want me to do? Maybe. And sometimes that causes you to look foolish. Yeah. Because you're meek and quiet, and you're going, God, what do I do next? <laughs> All right. And it's a great price. In the sight of God, a great price. Verse 5. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. That's contrary to everything our society preaches. Yeah. That's contrary to everything this world is saying. This world says, you know, women will find their most happiness being in charge of everybody and, 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 and breaking barriers and all this stuff. And, and I, it, it cracks me up because in the fire department, they're pushing and pushing, pushing women firemen, women firemen, women firemen. And they can't get women firemen. Because <laughs> they'll get them for a little bit, they get hurt, and then they retire. They say, this isn't for me after their first fire. It happens all the time. There's some that stick around, but it's just, it, it's contrary to the world to say what God said right here, which is women be in subjection unto their own husbands. And that's important, too. It's to their husbands that they're subjection to, not the pastor, not another man, to their own husbands. Yeah. And that's important. That's the way God set it up. Verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. That's, that preaches itself. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving on, and where does knowledge come from? Where does knowledge start? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. 
So if you fear God, you'll take care of your wife the way God tells you to. He'll give you the knowledge to guide and direct your wife, to teach your wife, to love your wife like you ought to. If you fear God first, your relationship with God has to be preeminent. Preeminent. <laughs> preeminent. And so we're, that, that's, that's a focus for the husband to have the knowledge to be the husband he should be. That knowledge comes from God, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And that makes me tremble. And as a man, it should make you tremble. God sees how you treat your wife. It's a little more awkward when it's a less congregation because there's only three husbands here. But this is the Bible, and it applies to me every bit as much. And this is one, not what I'm planning on preaching on. We'll get to the message here in a second. But we're going to read the Bible here, and God's going to deal with us. And God says right here that your prayers will be hindered if you don't treat your wife like he's telling you to. That's what he says. He says you give honor unto your wife. She's the weaker vessel. We're the bride of Christ. And I think about that and how God deals with me and treats me. God is merciful. God is loving. God is just. And when I mess up and I come to God and say, God, I messed up. He didn't say, yeah, that's right, you messed up. (laughs) Well, oh yeah, Let's, let's talk about that for a while. He'll chasten me. But God looks at your heart, and the moment your heart says, God, I want to make it right, He makes it right with you. He brings you along. And thank God for that. And God says that's how we ought to deal with our wives as the weaker vessel. We're, the, we're a weaker vessel to God. Yeah, that's right. And I'm glad that God is merciful and gracious with us, but that's how we need to be with our wives. And God says if you're not that way, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you're treating your wife not the way you ought to and you come down to this altar and you say, God, help me, I need, to get, I need to preach. I need to give out the gospel. I need to lead my family. And God says, how you been treating your wife? Right. Your prayers will be hindered if you don't do this. All right, now we're going to get closer to the message. Verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind. All of one mind? That's easy to read, but think about the application of the brethren of a church the, uh, being of one mind. <laughs> Amen. One mind. How can you be of one mind? If your mind is on God and your thoughts are on God and you're following God and you love God, you can be of one mind. That's right. In order to do that, look at the next, the next part of this verse. Having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. My flesh doesn't like that. Yeah. I don't want to be pitiful. Be, be courteous? Yeah. My flesh doesn't like to be pitiful or courteous with one another. Yeah. I, want, I want them to know my opinion and why it's my opinion and my opinion's right. Yeah. Like you said, Brother Josh, if I knew where I was wrong, I'd correct it. Right. And I don't see where I'm wrong. And when I, when I see somebody else that I disagree with, I go, well, they must be wrong. And my flesh doesn't say to be pitiful and courteous. Right. My flesh says, hey, Brother Gabe, we got a problem. You're off on this. I don't know why you did that this way. I wouldn't have done it that way. And that's my flesh. And God says, in order for us to be of one mind, 
like he wants the church to be, we've got to be pitiful and courteous. That's right. And say, you know what? I don't see it exactly why. And, and that's not saying we can't talk about it. Right. We ought to talk. We ought to say, hey, you love God. I love God. We want to serve God together. Let's get in the book together and, and, and try to figure out how God wants us to be on that. And you grow, and iron sharpeneth iron. And you can grow together. I've grown with the Lord from, from doing these tent ministries with you all. Amen. God has used that to sh- sharpen my relationship with God. But my flesh, I'm telling you, the flesh doesn't like it. The flesh, the flesh and the devil tries to prop up your flesh and get you moving in your flesh. And why why'd Joshua have to do that that way? I don't know that I'd have done that that way. But God says to be pitiful. Think of pitiful. I think of pitiful. You ever see a sick calf? They're pitiful. They don't bother nobody. And sometimes you'll have a rambunctious little calf that's running around all over the place. You can't barely feed it. You can't catch it. It's just running. And and you know that it's got pink eye or, or it has some type of problem with it. You can't even catch it. Because it doesn't want you anywhere around it. It's so rambunctious. And you'll finally get a hold of it. And I've gotten so many bruises up and down my legs from a cat that threw a kick. And it's like, why did it try to do I'm trying to help it here. It needs some vitamin A or whatever it needs the treatment for it. But it's not, at that point, pitiful. And it doesn't want no help. Right. Now once it gets sick enough, yeah. that thing just lays down there. And it lifts up its head. And its ears are all flopped down. And it's pitiful. And it'll let you treat it however you need to treat it. And sometimes they come back, sometimes... But I think that's what I think of when I think of pitiful, is a sick calf just laying there like, oh... But that's how God wants us to be with each other, is pitiful. You have pity on each other. You say, okay, if I'm off on something, instead of being angry with me for being off on it, you love me and be pitiful towards me. I don't want to see you off. I don't want to see me. I don't want to see Brother Gabe off. And that's how we ought to be with any of the brethren is pitiful with each other. Pitiful and courteous. That's how you get of one mind. Now here's the other part. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary-wise, blessing. Woo! That is contrary-wise, isn't it? Knowing that ye that. Ye are there unto called that ye should inherit a blessing. So that's even when somebody does something evil to you, instead of, instead of rendering evil, you're pitiful, you're courteous to them, you love them, yeah. and you render a blessing to them. <laughs> yeah. Verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God is watching you in the congregation whether you're going to do evil or do right. And we're almost into the message here. And uh, verse 13, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. 
Okay, so and now we're heading up to it. And he's saying, look, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, that's what God wants. He'll bless you for that. You suffer for your own evil stupidity because you had to get out there and just make, make sure they knew. And you left God back there, but you had to say, hey, look, I'm going to tell you this, and, I'm going to t- and I have a tendency to do that. I just want to tell them the truth and drop the love. That's where I'm, I'm at. And my flesh will get me there real quick. And God says, don't do that. He says, he says to follow him and sanctify yourself in the Lord. And if you suffer for righteousness sake, that means somebody slams the door on your face. Maybe they curse at you. Maybe they, they, they spit at you. Yeah. Now you don't retaliate. You shouldn't spit at the preacher. God, you're going to burn. Now I'm mad because they treated me the way I didn't think they ought to treat a preacher. They, they treated, I was just trying to be kind and give them a gospel track, and now I'm mad. So the next guy I'm mad with, and everybody's that way because that guy spit on me. And that'll happen, you give out enough gospel tracks. You're just telling them Jesus loves you? I, I, I remember one time we were preaching, I had a bullhorn, and we're, I'm just going through different verses that I knew. I wasn't even preaching hard. I was just reading verses, really. That's all I had. And I might expound on them a little bit, and then I'd go to the next verse and go to the next verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then somebody comes up, and they ram their fist into the bullhorn. (laughs) And you want to be, oh, you're going to go to hell for that. You want to respond with evil. But I tell you what gets them is when you don't respond with evil... And you still preach the gospel with love. And say, hey, God loves you. And in fact, I would rather somebody get upset hearing the gospel than walk on by and never even... and never Because if they're getting upset, that means God's dealing with them. Yeah. Amen. That's what that means. God is dealing with them. So don't be discouraged when, when people get upset and render you evil for giving them the gospel. Be happy. One thing God told you right here, but if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Happy are ye. And it's important we get a hold of this because as we go out into this world and give the gospel out, you're going to suffer for righteousness' sake. They're going to make fun of how you have a lot of kids. They're going to make fun of how you give out the gospel on a hot day. They're going to make fun of of everything you do. Because the world doesn't comprehend the things of the Spirit. But then what we're doing is we're sowing, we're plowing ground... And God, He's the one in charge of the increase. He knows what Yankton needs. He knows what He's doing with Yankton. I don't know what God's doing with Yankton. Maybe He's starting a church. Praise the Lord. I'd, I'd love to see that. Maybe He's giving them a warning. I don't know where, where Yankton is with God, honestly. But God knows. We're just, we're just obeying God in this thing. And what, what, what God is saying right here, He says, If you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be ye troubled. Amen. Don't be troubled by it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to go knock on somebody's door. Don't be afraid to tell them Jesus, Jesus loves them, died for them, and they got a sin problem. Yeah. Don't be afraid. And there's a reason why God tells you that. It's because He knows... When you go to knock on a door, sometimes you're going to tremble. I tremble sometimes. A lot of times. I'm like, here we go again. I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. Who's going to show up? 
you know? You go into a store, and God says, give the gospel to that guy. He's, God, he's working. <laughs> Just obey God. Obey God. And you know what? If they get upset, don't be afraid. Be happy with serving God. But here's how you have to get to that point is in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your, help me out here, in your hearts. Hearts. Verse 15. Let's try that again. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. hearts. That's how you get there. You sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's where we got to be. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear. Meekness is... God, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. Show me. What should I say? What shouldn't I say? God, I just want to follow you. Yeah. I don't want my own game plan. I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want the own, my, I can't rely on my wisdom knocking a door. I don't know who's on the other side of the door. I don't know who's in this town. I don't know who's going to show up on this tent. We got to be meek and say, God, who is the meekest man? Jesus Christ. Yes. And a, an example of Jesus Christ was Moses, right? Yeah. And Moses said, okay, we're going to wander about the desert 40 years now. And he's got to put up with all these. He had the largest congregation of any pastor ever. And they weren't the greatest congregation. And God, uh, Moses kept going to the Lord and said, what are you going to have me do with these people? And and there'd be times where the Lord said, all right, I'm going to let them have it. And Moses loved those people and said, God, remember what you said about these people? He was an advocate for the people. Yeah. We ought to be an advocate for the people of Yankton and say, God, have mercy on these people. That's right. Amen. And say, God, how do you want me, how can I be a servant to deal with these people to show them that you love them, to show them that they're in their sin Amen. and they don't have to be in their sin, that there is a way. And we have to be looking to God to say, God, guide me, direct me on this and sanctify God in your heart, not yourself, not your own motives, but sanctify God in your heart. And be ready. There's only one way to be ready. And it isn't by by memorizing a game plan. It's by being sanctified, the Lord God, in your heart. So my question today is, is your heart sanctified towards God? To be ready always. We have to eat of the Word. We have to stay in constant prayer. Constant prayer. That means... You wonder about something, you pray to God about it. God tells you to go pray with somebody, you go pray with them. God says hit the knees when nobody's around, you hit the knees when nobody's around. You've got to stop the car and pray, you stop the car and pray. God says sing hymns and praise to God, you sing hymns and praise to God. I don't care if there's somebody there or not somebody there. David encouraged himself in the Lord when he was down and out, and God picked him up and they won the battle. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And God will give you the answers that you need. Because if you think you have all the answers for all the Catholics, I don't care how much study you do, how much intellectual you... And I'm not saying don't study. Study the Word of God. God God tells us to study His Word. What I'm saying is, you're not going to have all the answers, but God has all the answers. And if you sanctify the Lord God in your heart, He's got all the answers. He'll give you the answer. That's right. 
You, you pay attention to walking with God, following God, loving God, meditating on His words, praying to God, and God takes care of all the rest of it. Right. He'll give you the answer that you don't have, but God has. There's situations that come up and we're like, I don't know what to do. You know what to do? I don't know what to do. God knows exactly what to do and how to do it. Yeah. But we have to be meek and we have to have fear. Yeah. Fear not of man. Trembling not because of man, but fear of God. Right. Having a good conscience. The Bible also tells us to hold on to a good conscience. It says to hold on to your faith. It tells you to hold on to a good conscience. Yeah. That means when God pricks your conscience, you get it right. You don't just, okay, I'll worry about that later. Yeah. That don't apply to me. I'll move on, you know. I don't need to deal with that. That's not a big deal. Yeah. God says, if he pricks your conscience, you get your conscience right. You go back to God. You say, God, help me. Get it right with God. Repent. How are you going to preach repentance to somebody, to a lost sinner, when you won't repent when God's getting on to you? Amen. You've got to repent when God gets on to you about something. You've got to hold on to that good conscience. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, and they will, they'll say you're doing it wrong, they'll say you're hateful, they'll say you're a legalist, they'll say this and they'll say that, they'll speak evil of you. As of evildoers, they may be ashamed that they falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. God's the one that'll make them ashamed of it. For it is better... If the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And this is our example. This is our example. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Amen. Christ suffered the ultimate sacrifice. That's right. So the little suffering we get to do is great. And we don't do much suffering. We don't do much suffering at all. But Christ suffered the ultimate sacrifice. He suffered when the, there was no call for Him to suffer. He was perfect. He was just. He was righteous. And they accused Him. They threw lies on Him. They said He was doing stuff that He wasn't doing. They, said he, they, said he, they accused Him of having a devil in Him because He was able to cast out devils. The world will always find something to accuse you of. They'll always have a lie about what you're doing. There's people that say that we preach a false gospel. Yeah. That we add works to salvation. Yeah. And in my flesh, that bothers me. Yeah. That bothers me real bad. I'm like, we don't preach works salvation. It's through Christ and Christ alone. How could you say that? Yeah. And God says, hey, when they speak evil of you, that isn't our concern. Our concern is fearing God, being meek towards God, sanctifying the Lord God in our heart, and having that ready answer inside of us because we're walking with God. Maybe. That's our concern. That's right. And he says, if, if you get to feeling bad for yourself, if you get to thinking you're suffering too much, you look at Christ. Yeah. You look at what Christ did for you. You look at, you look at what Jesus Christ suffered. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Amen. Quickened by the Spirit. Ye who were dead in trespasses and sins are quickened. Amen. That Spirit, that, uh, that's, uh, but quickened by the Spirit, we're quickened by the Spirit. Amen. 
That same Spirit that, that Jesus Christ, Christ indwells you. Yeah. <laughs> That's... That's amazing that Christ would indwell you. And he's saying, hey, when you suffer, think about all, all the suffering, all the bad that could happen to you. And it, I, hope, I hope you understand that this, what we're living in right now in the U.S. is, is not normal Christianity. Yeah. And it throws our thinking off. Because the church all through the New Testament and all over the world really right now, we don't see it because we're in a bubble. Right. And we don't have the persecution that Christians have had all throughout, Christi- all throughout Christianity. Yeah. If you preach God and you preach Christ, they kill you. Yeah. That's just the reality of it. That's, that's Christianity. You sign up to be a Christian, you're going to see your children, your family thrown in, in gulags and prisons. They're doing it all over the place right now. And we think because that's not happening, it throws our whole logic off to where, okay, we, we can make it in this world. We can do this great thing. If you're a Christian, you don't make money. <laughs> yeah. right. And that's how Christianity has been. That's how it is. If you're a Christian in South Korea and you claim to be a Christian, they not only take you to prison when they find out about it, they take your family to prison. And even family to prison, that's not even Christian because they're related to you. That's how bad the hatred is for Christianity. And they're expanding the prisons to hold people. North Korea. Sorry. North Korea. They're exp- I think they were up to something like 70,000 people. And expanding. That's the hatred for Christianity. And that's how it was here. You spoke for Christ. You preached Christ. You did this. They persecute you. We have an opportunity, a bubble right now, that God has blessed this country because of our forefathers, their fear of God, their following of God, and, 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 and families that said, God, you want us to go preach, we'll go preach. Yeah. You look across this country, it don't take long to drive around and see little churches everywhere. Yeah. There's used to, a lot of them used to be Bible-believing churches. Right. Because somebody said, you know what? I want to follow God. God, what would you have me to do? I have you to preach. And they preached. And they gave up everything they had to go preach the gospel. That's right. And it had an influence on the town. And the town said, you know what? We fear God. We fear the Bible. We're going to try to serve God. And that happened all over this country. And so you have generations and generations. And that's how we have the freedom that we have today. Hey. Is what God did for us. That's right. And here's the, here's the tragedy now. Now that we're sitting in that freedom... We say, well, there's no persecution. Right. And we say, okay, if we, if all we really have to compare to is somebody being upset because we gave them a gospel track. Right. And that, what I want you to understand is that's not the normal. Yeah. That is not the normal on the globe. That is not the normal and timeline of Christianity. And we ought to take advantage of it. Amen. It's a blessing that, and we're losing it rapidly. We're losing the freedom rapidly. If we're in South Dakota, which praise the Lord for it, but this is a pretty free area. I guarantee you, we set up a tent like this in New York, it'd be a different story. What's that? It might be. It might be. There's there's different places where uh, they they were stoning Christians that would hold up signs. I forget where it was, where it was a real heavy uh, Muslim influence. I think it, I, I can't remember the name of where it was, but they were throwing stones at it. I think it was Minnesota. 
But anyways, the point being is whatever suffering, it's small right now. It's very light right now. And it's worth it. It's worth everything. And it should bring joy to us. And the opportunity we have, we sanctify the Lord God in our heart, always to be ready to give an answer, to follow God in the the fear and meekness towards God, say, God, what do you want me to do? God, where do you have me? And that applies to the wives, it applies to the children, it applies to the husbands. And God is a God that is concerned about the family. And especially in a tent ministry or any ministry, a lot of times the devil attacks the family and gets the family all rooted off course, gets the children all off course, gets the marriages broken up, and everybody just patches it up and acts like it doesn't matter. And we're just going to go about, we're going to go about, we're going to go about. We've been doing this now for 15, 20 years, and my marriage is blown out, but I'm going to keep going. And there's a warning here, too, that God watches your marriage. God watches your children. And God wants you to keep that relationship with your wife right. God wants you to keep that relationship with your husband right. And women have, uh, wives have an opportunity to give out the gospel. And it could be knocking a door and giving a gospel track out. And it could be right here, your chase conversation. And quietness. And meekness. Every part of this thing is a ministry. Where you're living, where you're at right now is a ministry. God has shown you that. And, and God is right here. When we go out into the town to buy groceries, that's part of the ministry. Yeah. Amen. We go to the gas station, that's part of the ministry. Yeah. Your conduct is part of You're never off of the ministry. That's right. So we'll end on that. We're going to end on this. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Have you done that? Are you doing that? It's not a, 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 I shouldn't say have you done that. It's not a checkoff. <laughs> it's not a checkoff at the beginning of the day. Okay, I read my Bible. I prayed. I sanctified the Lord God in my heart. Check. Because the moment you do that, you walk out, you knock the door, somebody yells at you, and you're no longer sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. You're now mad at the person for how they talk to you. They didn't receive it like you thought they should have. Or you get all ready, you got the message, all lined up, God gave you a message, you're excited about it, you show up, and there's nobody. Yeah. <laughs> or the people that come up are haggling or whatever, we don't know. Yeah. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Yeah. Remember it. Remember why you're here, the answer that God gives you. And when you're nervous, when you're trembling, when you're scared, don't be afraid of their faces. Look at God. He's the one that's to be feared. He's the one that deserves the honor, the praise, the glory. That's why we're here. So sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be, always, be ready always to give an answer. Not part of the time, not some of the time, always. To every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's all I've got. Let's pray. Amen.